0: We are up to chapter 7 of the Tanya. We actually have a few lines left from the end of chapter 6, but it pretty much leads into the next topic, topic, which is chapter 7. But as I'll always do, I'll start with a brief recap of where we're up to in the Tanya, where we're coming from, and where we're going to. In chapter 1, we introduced the two souls, the two drives, the two movements that exist inside every one of us, In chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, we describe the godly soul, the godly drive, the ability that we have to naturally connect with Hashem. In chapter 2, we said how it's a part of our being. And in chapter 3, we described how this drive, this godly drive within us, is made up of both an ability to comprehend godliness and an ability to feel Hashem. So for Hashem to both be, be in our consciousness, both in our mind and heart, is something that very much is part of our ability because of the godly soul in chapter four and five we described how more important than the mind and heart of the godly soul more important than how we feel more important than our consciousness is how we materialize it we said that the mind and heart of the godly soul that's Yearning and that desire to connect with Hashem needs to be invested in practical application, which means in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, and even in the way that we think. These are the three garments of the soul: thought, speech, and action. That was chapter four. In chapter five, we spoke about the novelty of Torah study, how through Torah study we're able to connect with Hashem in an unbelievable way, where godliness becomes literally a part of our mind So those were chapters two, three, four, and five that describe both the godly soul, and how we can use it to connect to Hashem. In chapters 6, 7, and 8, which we are now learning, we describe the other side, the animal soul. And over the last two weeks in chapter 6, we discussed, firstly, how the animal soul also has a mind and heart of his own. The difference is that when it comes to the godly soul, in order for us to develop a feeling for Hashem, it's not going to just come out of the blue, a real feeling that really translates into action it's going to require commitment commitment of the mind when we dedicate our minds to really wanting to become closer to Hashem then we'll be able to develop real feelings that translate into real action so it takes a lot more discipline when it comes to the animal within us it also strives to connect to worldly matters so it also has a mind and heart but naturally it starts with the heart where the animal wants something and then it gets the mind on board so both have mind and heart, but by the godly soul, the heart follows the mind, as opposed to by the animal soul, the mind follows the heart. That was the first discussion we had two weeks ago. Last week, we spoke about a very important principle in Chesedis called Bittl. Bitel means, it's a hard way to translate, but we translated it as unconditional surrender to Hashem. We said how surrender can sound bad, but we hopefully explained how it's really about who you're surrendering yourself to. Um, And surrender doesn't mean to um, become less functional. On the contrary, it means to take all of your existing functions, all of your existing abilities and talents, and to be able to use them for a greater cause. And we said it's actually the most liberating moment when we're able to not be stuck in ourselves, not ask, what do I need, but rather to ask what I'm needed for, to be able to extend beyond ourselves So that's a moment of Bittal where we bring Hashem into our lives. And we had another important discussion. And that was that when we speak about um, negative energy, bad, we say that there's no force of evil outside of God. Everything comes from Hashem. And our job is really to reveal the good within everything and the godliness within everything. Bad is when we live in an illusion where we think something is what it's not, when we're out of touch of reality. And based on that, we describe that bad isn't when a person just goes and sins. Bad is really any moment that we don't succeed in revealing the true nature, the the godliness that exists within it. And that's why we said when we're able to have Bittul, when we're able to uh, extend beyond ourselves, beyond our personal interests and motivations, and we're able to just dedicate ourselves towards Hashem, then we're able to bring Hashem into everything that we do. So we said that Bittul, the surrender, is the tool, is the key to be able to make Hashem felt in everything that we do. Okay, these are a lot of, deep important topics which we discussed over the last few weeks and we have a lot more to learn about today. Just one discussion that came up last week which I realized I started and I didn't finish was I mentioned how there's that question that I had over the years when I was learning Tanya and that was what has Hasidus come to teach us? Does it come to teach us about action or does it come to teach us about feeling? Is it about what we do or how we feel? Is it about what we do or how we do it? And it's a question that puzzled me for years. And just observing the last few chapters that we've learned, it seemed to be somewhat of a seesaw where we move between one and the other. Because in chapter 2 we said how no matter what a person does, they always have a part of Hashem within them that they're able to connect with. So that's very much about not what we do, but who we are. The drive behind what we do. As well as Chapter three, developing a, a, an understanding and a, a connection with our mind and heart with Hashem, then it came Chapter four and five, and we said it's all about action or it's about study so it 's regardless of who you are or how you feel, go beyond yourself. Then came Chapter six, and we said that with everything that we do, we should have an inner feeling of surrender of Bi to Hashem where we allow Hashem to come into our life and that we're not caught up in ourselves that seems back to a mode of not what we're doing but how we're doing it so which one is it is it what we do or how we do it obviously both are important um and i mentioned how i i I called the teacher of mine and discussed it with him and i think that his response was this the goal is to bring Hashem into every area of our life. To bring good into every area of our life. And therefore, it needs to cover both areas. So, in other words, it's not good enough to just do, you need to also understand and feel. Why do we need to understand and feel? On face value, the reason we need to understand and feel is because we're people and we're... Uh, sophisticated and we we shouldn't neglect our abilities that's true but on a deeper level it's because we want to bring Hashem into all of our beings so if we only going to bring Hashem into our actions then it means that there's an area of our life that misses him where he's not apparent and conversely if we somebody that has a real strong feeling and, and, and spirituality to ourselves But when it comes down to actions, we don't actually do what we need to do, right? Like the person that feels so bad, but they're not willing to help. So uh, then it means that Hashem is manifest in our mind and heart, but He's not manifest in our actions. So the goal really is to have this holistic approach where we're able to serve Hashem with all of our being, both in how we act as well as in who we are, and how we feel, and how we think. So, the answer is it's both what we do and how we do it, but you can't limit it to one without the other. So, the big million dollar question what's more imp- important, action or intention? It's a question that a lot of people ask. You know, I'd rather you have some person that does less, but he does it more, more wholeheartedly. Some person that does more, but he's not really doing it for the right reasons. He's got ulterior motives. And the truth is they each have their advantage. The person that's doing less than he could do, not comparing to anybody else. The person that's doing less than he himself is able to do, and he's doing so wholeheartedly. So he's achieved in doing things wholeheartedly. But he has more to achieve in how much he's doing wholeheartedly. So he's, he's brought Hashem into his life in how he does things, but he still has the ability to bring Hashem more into his life in what he's busy with. And conversely, the person that does a lot more has succeeded in bringing Hashem into his life in so much of what he does, but quantitatively, but qualitatively, he has what to work on, that Hashem is more in his conscience. So it's not really about judging, it's not really about um, what's what's more important than the other. The truth is that ultimately, I think, if we were to have a vote amongst the uh, um, Hasidic teachings, I do think that action does win. I think that action really is, 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 is what matters most, but it certainly can't be limited to action because we want to serve Hashem wholeheartedly. We don't want to um, just do things and feel like we're a hypocrite, where it's what we do, but we, it's not what we feel, but we should not do something because we don't want to be a hypocrite. So uh, it's work in progress. I guess that's just a beautiful thought. Um, was definitely what was I was thinking about. But now let's move back to chapter seven. So we're speaking about bringing Hashem into our life and connecting everything to Hashem and Bittal, the s- surrender. In today's chapter, I think we're going to speak about this on very practical terms. So, you know, hopefully we, I say that I hope that you can walk away with something practical with every class or some change to uh, something that you could implement into your life In every class. Chapter 7 really says in no uncertain terms what exactly it means. Um, to reveal Hashem and what we do or to obscure Hashem and what we do because after all we are speaking about the animal soul and we are speaking about how it often has its own agendas that pull us away from Hashem so bad bad is not the name of the I was going to give bad as a topic for today's chapter chapter 7 but I think it's a bad topic and it's not a good one either (laughs) Why? Because from a Hasidic perspective, bad is not really a good description of bad. Why? Because when you speak about something being bad, you think of it being a force of its own. You have a force of good and you have a force of bad. I'm just just listening to my little kids, and it's cute, and they small minds. They speak about goodies and baddies right so uh you're walking home don't go too far ahead of uh, mom and dad why because yeah there are baddies out there and you want to make sure that that you uh, that you're safe that if there's anybody there that wants to do do anything wrong to you you would be uh, you don't want to be in a place where you'd have to run fast so so it's very definitive there's goodies and there's baddies and and obviously what you don't manage to describe at a very young age is how even the baddies really have good. You don't want to tell that to your kid because, you know, bottom line, you want him to understand that he just needs to be safe. So when we look at things from a child perspective, then we say that there's, there's, a, there's a force of good. There are people that, do, that are doing good in this world. There are good people and there's bad people. There's, there's a center of good and a center of bad. But the truth is that that's not a true description of bad. Why? Because as we discussed last week Shema HaShem 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 is one means that there is only one force in this world and that's God HaShem is the driving force and energy that makes everything in this world be including the baddies and yes as with this came up last time we asked what about the Holocaust and what about you know such bad stuff that's happened and how has, how, how has HaShem allowed that to happen and these are good questions And they need to be answered. But I'm just referencing that it's actually more than just how did Hashem allow something bad to happen. Hashem is really powering all all of it as we discussed. Everything in this world gets its energy from God. And therefore the Tanya when describing bad doesn't describe it as bad. It describes it as a clipper. This is your next word in your Hasidic lexicon. A clipper means a shell bad is a shell that hides the truth that hides god that is what bad is because at the core of everything is the life force of god and so bad is when something disguises its true life force and instead derails a person to instead of doing something good to do something bad but everything comes from god So this is this big keyword in Hasidus. It's based on Kabbalah as well. It's called clipper. It's the shell. And the Tanya here in chapter 7. End of chapter 6 and going into chapter 7. Describes that there are two types of shells. There's one type of shell. It's called the three impure clippers. That completely disguise Hashem. Leaving us. Unable to reveal Hashem within it. And there's another type of shell called Clippus the translucent shell, which means it also disguises Hashem, but it gives us, it leaves us with the ability to be able to reveal Hashem. So what this means in very practical terms is that there are some things in this world that Hashem has said that we've got to stay away from. And that's the way we deal with it. Why? Because, unfortunately, today, in today's day and age, until Mashiach comes, we don't have the ability to reveal Hashem the godliness within it, because it's something that's, it's bound up, it's out of our access. Let me share a story or two and then we'll get back to this point. So the, the, the author of the Tanya, the Altarebbe, had a friend by the name of uh, Avram the Malach. He was referred to as an angel. He wasn't an angel, he was a person, but he was referred to as an angel because he was a very special person. He was a son of the Altarebbe's teacher, the Magad of Bezrich. And this Avram the Malach, when he was a little child, once came into his teacher, into his father's room and he was crying. And his father asked him, why are you crying? He said, we were playing hide and go seek. And uh, I found a really good hiding spot. And nobody found me. He said, why are you crying? You should be happy. You won. You succeeded. You tried to make sure nobody would find you. And nobody found you. He said, but they stopped looking for me. So the baggage turned to Hashem. And he said, Father in heaven, you created the world with a veneer. That conceals your presence Hashem you've hidden yourself from us but don't you realize that you've so well hidden that your children have stopped to look for you so this shell is something Hashem created it's a fact it's part of reality Hashem does disguise himself but hopefully we shouldn't stop looking and sometimes we do lose motivation and therefore we turn to Hashem and we say, Hashem, please unveil yourself. Show us your true identity. We, we don't have that motivation to search, see, search and find you. But this is really is the Hasidic description of bad. Bad is this veneer that conceals Hashem. And it's our job to reveal Him. But that said, not always are we able to reveal Hashem. I vividly remember standing in a bus station in Israel and suddenly there was a bag and nobody, there was nobody next to the bag and they declared it a chafetz chashud, an item, of suspicious item, which anybody living in Israel has come across numerous times when using public transport. And suddenly everybody starts, you know, keeping a distance around it. And then I had one friend that very stupidly said to another friend that, um, uh, you know, Yankul, go get the bag, they, 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 they want to break the bag. And he started running to get the bag. Like he felt bad. You know, someone's bag is about to get blown up. And then the police that was there said, is it yours? He said, no. And he blasted him and he came back. And it was a horrible, a horrible uh, experience because it was just really nasty with the one kid to another. But that's how people sometimes can be. They can be nasty. Um, but really what was happening was the second friend of mine had a real heart of gold and he always wanted to help. And the first guy just kind of was just pulling a prank at him and saying, go help. And obviously this wasn't a help. So he may have wanted a help, but in such an instance, it wasn't his place. There was red tape. It was a place that he couldn't go. So yes, there may have been precious items in that bag that maybe would be blown up in a minute and, will never, and, and would never again be able to be utilized. But if it's a an item that's a suspicious item, then it means that we don't have the ability to unreveal, to reveal the good that's within it. So Hashem tells us that there's something, everything in this world has godliness. Everything in this world has something good within it. But Hashem tells us that there's some things that you'll succeed at in revealing their good. And there's some things that they're dangerous. Stay away from. They have a potential for good, but you don't have the tools, you don't have the resources right now to be able to reveal the good that's within them. So these are the two types of clippers. There's some clippers, there's some shells that... Hashem has created somewhat of a husk that we don't have the ability to reveal the good that exists within them. And there are other shells, there are other husks that we are able to transform the negative thing into something positive, that we do have the ability to reveal the good. So these are the two clippers, the two types of bad. Well, now that you know what I mean when I say bad. So how
1: do we know which ones which? I mean, sometimes wow. it's very clear, uh, sometimes
0: it's not. The gray areas. The simple answer is that Hashem has given us a manual. And Hashem has told us what's allowed and what's not allowed. There are grey areas where you do need to speak to a mentor, speak to a rabbi and get guidance. And make sure that you, what you try to do, that you think that you're helping is actually something positive and not something negative. Um, and those areas will remain grey and hopefully you'll get guidance from Hashem using whoever it is, whatever experts in the field, to be able to guide you to, to approach it in the right way. But most of life, I think, is definitive. I know this might be up for debate, but I think that if we were to just take our day from the moment we wake up till we go to sleep, and then our week and our year and our life, I think most of what we're involved with, the Torah does give a clear indication of if, if it's something that's allowed or something that's not allowed. The Tanya here is saying something very, um, I don't know if the word is dramatic, but something that has tremendous implications. The Tanya is saying that not only is something that Hashem says is bad, is hiding Hashem. If Hashem says it's not allowed, it's not allowed. You could have the best of intentions and you could be the kindest guy that really wants to save that bag because shame, maybe the guy's got a pair of tefillin inside, maybe he's got the most wonderful thing, it's just amazing energy that you want to utilize, but if it's been red taped, if the Torah says it's not allowed, it's not allowed, it means nothing good will come out of it. Even if it seems like something good is, good is coming out of it, it means that we don't have the ability to, to reveal the good within it. But the Tanya's saying more than that. The Tanya's saying that even things that are allowed even things that are kosher, even things that the Torah says we can have, they too naturally can be engaged with in a way that disguises Hashem. But it's our ability, that's the fourth clipper, the second type of, it's bad if, if we live in a, the illusion that we think that it's just devoid of any higher purpose. At the moment we're able to engage with that for a higher purpose, then we're able to peel the shell reveal the good that's within it so this cup of coffee in my hand it's just a cup of coffee it's kosher and is it something inherently good well really everything is ultimately inherently good because everything comes from god but do i have the ability to reveal the good within this coffee well if it wasn't kosher then no even if i'd say that i'm going to use the energy and i'll Whatever the analogies are, I'm giving lots of money to Sadaka, whatever it is, I'll use the energy to do tremendous good. If it's red tape, it's red tape. But if it's not, it's a kosher cup of coffee and it's available. I'm able to drink it. So now, as I have this drink, I've got to ask myself am I just going to have a moment of indulgence that's void of a higher purpose? Or am I going to engage in this cup of coffee so that I can utilize the strength that it gives me to be able to give a better share? to serve Hashem better and this really is a fundamental question that Tanya chapter 7 teaches us to ask the Tanya basically says that from a halachic perspective from a legal perspective there's parv. what is paruf? so you have that which is a mitzvah and that's good it means a mitzvah is something that if Hashem says that by doing it you're doing it, a mitzvah it means that it's something that naturally reveals Hashem in this world You have a sin which is bad that too is also getting its energy from hashem but we don't have access to it it's tied up so that's the black and white that's the milk and meat there's what's a mitzvah and then there's what's a sin but what about most of life is actually in between most of life is neither a sin nor is it a mitzvah it's just living it's just taking care of our needs doing what we need to do tanya says that too Is not ready part of it 's one or the other when we engage with most of our life, either we will elevate those things and reveal how they could help us serve hashem, how they could bring good into the world, or we'll engage with them in a way that conceal hashem so it 's like riding the bicycle. all the neutral elements of our life are actually not neutral, and we 've been given the huge responsibility to Decide to determine whether we're going to elevate them or we're going to desecrate them. Whether we're going to bring out the good within them or bring out the bad within them. Yes.
1: Can I ask a so what happens in a work situation? So every day you go to work. Okay, what you doing right now? You uh-huh. bringing Hashem into everything. But if you your job is not this, you, uh-huh. you know, um, how how do you? How do you elevate? How do you bring Hashem into an office space that uh, is disconnected because it's in the material uh, world, or any any job you do really? It could be like shopping. Mm.
2: Yeah,
0: okay. So it's not, it's not, it's, uh, I mean, obviously your occupation is something that's very specific that majority, let's say you're a builder. majority of the day you're putting bricks on, on, on you know, how, how's that becoming something that's meaningful and godly? But really we all have it in our lives, even if, even somebody who teaches, even if I were to be teaching Torah all, all day, all week, I still have all of my bodily needs. And so it's still that same question. How do I address my bodily needs of eating and drinking and everything else and staying, looking after my physical health and mental health and and all of these things that as human beings, it's very important that we look after. How do we ensure that those are moments that are elevated and not um, uh, desecrated? Maybe desecrated is a strong word. So if I were to give you a, a bag of recycling, okay? I'm sure in our driveway in the back headed over there there's a bag of recycling that's waiting to go out. And I want to give you each this bag of recycling and I'd ask you to take that bag of recycling and uh, I'd like you to actually see how you could use them in your home. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so... You open up the bag and you take out here's a milk container and here's whatever it is and you look at each item and you'd say okay so here's this this empty bottle of milk like what good does it have in it what what what, what good can it be used for or what part of it can I use so maybe the uh, there's a part of it that's actually becoming smelly it's going off a little bit and um, uh, so like you'll you'll need to analyze this bottle and analyze this bag. You'll need to sort through it and see each item. What's good about it? What you want to use and what you want to discard. And I think that's maybe somewhat of the answer to the question that if we stop and we think about every moment of our day, of our work, of eating and drinking and everything else that we do, that's to look after our well-being and our, of our, and our health and our abilities and we're to ask ourselves what's good about this? What what elements of this can be used to help somebody? To reveal Hashem? To fulfill my purpose? And which elements are not necessary? So as you go through that sifting purpose you highlight the good qualities of it and you uh, um, kind of relegates the less important qualities. And I think that's how you do it. So it's kind of this selective process of finding the good within each moment of engagement. I think, yeah, finding the good within each moment of engagement. And when we do that, so then we elevate it. So just like a person, right? A guy walks in and you can even say like, you know, get out of here. You're you, 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 you sugarder, so, right? When somebody kicks somebody else and says they're sugarder. So they discovered the person's negative elements, and then that's what they highlighted, and then they really threw the guy onto the streets. Obviously, that Meshuggah also has amazing positive qualities. So, So just as with people, how at every moment we have the ability to either engage with their negative elements or engage with their positive elements. And if we're going to engage with their negative elements, we're going to pull them down. And if we engage with their positive elements, we're going to lift them up. So the same goes with, I think, every moments of our life where we've got to ask ourselves, what are the positive elements of this and how can I highlight them and, and, and make them better and how can I turn my eye away from and focus less on the, the things which are more negative?
2: Can I add something? Yes. Um, come on. Um, maybe this is not so specific, like every, every portion of our day, but I think each of us have like, these dreams and goals, let's talk about our children, what we want them to become so well, what is our ultimate goal that is is that ultimate goal and as most of us think of our kids like to become yes the doctors and the lawyers and self-sufficient and make a good living but, and get an education so they can bring a partner home. i think those are huge for probably all of us What is the ultimate goal? So maybe my question is, what's really more, possibly, even more important than that? Does it stay just there? Is that the ultimate? And then when somebody reaches that goal, like we are the proudest, uh, I'll use the example, Proudest parents in the world? Because what we produce? Or, unfortunately, I think we all live life enough to see that maybe that's not the ultimate goal. Maybe that's part of it, and we still have that part of us that really dreams for that. But maybe there is actually something that's so much more meaningful and important for even my child, who I thought the ultimate goal was something else. Um, I don't know if that answers yeah. that at all. Yeah, because to, is, sorry. Because to expand on that, what you're actually
1: saying is, if your husband becomes, uh, not your husband, sorry, your child becomes the doctor or the lawyer, and they really do it for their own, they they're doing it for the reasons of growing their ego and they're becoming this amazing doctor but actually when you go to him you don't feel so wonderful in his company or like he's a bit abrasive in his nature opposed to the person who's do, got, do, got who is do got the doctor who's elevating his practice by treating each person as if he's a human being and, and making sure that, that that person feels seen and heard and, and that's maybe merging being kind and placing the values above, I don't know, at the same level, the value, the value of the human being, at the same level as as, as the, the job, the, job. <laughs> the
0: certificate, it, maybe. So yeah, I think this is a great conversation. It really ties together so much of what we discussed it, because last week we spoke about Bittel and surrender and doing things for a, for a higher reason, and and what we're learning in today's chapter, in chapter seven, is that. More imp- maybe even more important than those moments of her- holiness per se of our lives, when we actually give the tzedakah, or we actually dab or we actually do the mitzvah, maybe more important than that is the bulk of our life to ask ourselves are these moments, moments that are being done in a way that is bringing good to the world? And so, yes, majority of our life we need to make a living. A- and so, you know, to have your child, to push your child to be the best doctor. Is a good thing because it's it's a way that he could help people, but then, as a doctor, there's doctors and there's doctors, and, and obviously more important than the, than the doctor's intellectual and talents and, and skills is really their approach. Are they really utilizing every moment to to help the world, to 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 bring Hashem into the world, to re, to to reveal Hashem in this world? Um, a question that often comes up in, in chapter seven. I see we've got to start wrapping up. Um, is. Why would Hashem create red taped stuff? Meaning. We say that there's some. Elements of this world. That we're able to reveal the good within them. And there are other elements of the world. Where Hashem says stay away. So why would you create it? You know when it came, came back at that stop, Unfortunately that was just the result. Of somebody acting irresponsibly. And, and not staying next to his bag. So it was a mess up, but Hashem obviously doesn't mess up. Everything is by precise plan and order. So why did Hashem create a delicious ham sandwich or cheeseburger and it looks fantastic and you're like, if I could just engage that, it's going to give me so much energy, I'll be able to help so many people. No, you can't have it. What do you mean? So then why would you make it? Okay, fine. The dunges also need to have what to eat and for them it's good. Fine, but but still I want something deeper I want something more meaningful and sometimes it could be uh, when you don't see any benefits it's like my father shares a story of a student that he had that was exceptionally talented in, in sports and it reached a point where he had to make a decision to give up something because it, because of Shabbos or whatever it was and he turned to my father and he said how did God give me you know such a talent and, and I'm not going to be able to use it which was obviously a tough one and I think my father says at the time he told him that you know please God this talent you won't be able to realize and you know I congratulate for it but you'll be able to find other other talents that are maybe even greater and it's a tough one but why why would I do that to somebody I,
1: well, I think it's your metaphor of your garbage I mean in a way it's discernment the capacity to disaggregate to discern
2: the good from, you know, each day be able to discern which moments, which people,
0: which items, uh, which aspects. Uh, good. So for in, in simple terms it's free choice, really. Hashem has given us the opportunity to be able to uh, or the responsibility to be able to discern right from wrong. I want to first wrap up because I'm watching the time and then I'll come back to more questions. Um, and the answer I think is that those elements, of Hashem, or those elements of Godliness where we can't reveal the good within them, they were created for us to abstain. And through us abstaining, we actually allow them to achieve their purpose. Say that again. They were created for us to abstain from them. And through us abstaining from them, they achieve their purpose. So the analogy that the Tanya brings in a different place is of a king that hired a prostitute to test his... The prince to see how morally strong he was and the prostitute herself wants the child not to listen to her because she wants the child's inner strength to be brought out. But the child could then say like, hey, here's like a young woman and I have, I have an opportunity to look after her, and to care for her, develop a relationship and be able to share with her the greatness of the king. And unfortunately, if the child does that, he's, he's lost. He's, he's failed because that's not what the king wants. The king wants him to say, okay, if that's who you are, I'll stay away from you. And then she'll walk away and she'll say, King, I've, I've achieved what I needed to achieve. I was able to bring out the strength of your child. And so that's so too, when we look at things that are in this world, and we ask God, why did you create it if I can't use it? They're there for us to stay away from. it." when we stay away from them, then they're happy that they're able to achieve what they were meant to achieve, which is for us to be able to Reveal Godliness by staying away from them, and then through that, they actually the God, the good within them is actually utilized. Uh, now, the one final topic, which is beyond today because we've run out of time, is when a person does something wrong. If a person engages with negative energy, does he have the ability to turn it into something good? Okay, it's a very important question. Uh, it's discussed in chapter seven. So please, God, stay tuned uh, next week, same time, same place. Okay. Debbie, you want to ask a question?